Amen. We have a marvelous and wonderful God. He's more marvelous or wonderful than we can comprehend. There are things that He has done in our lives that we don't even know He did. One day we'll be able to find out, and we'll have all eternity find out all that He has done. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. My intention as a pastor and a preacher, and there's a difference between pastors and evangelists, both preach, but there's a difference. Um, I was talking to Brother Curtis the other day, and we had heard the evangelist Dwight Smith, and he had the the opportunity, he preached a great, great gospel message. And uh, he went right through the end of the gospels and right through the end of the life of Christ and looked at the, 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 the response of different people to Christ, uh, throughout the end of the gospels. You had Judas's response. You had Caiaphas, the, the religious leader's response. You had Pontius Pilate's response. You had Peter's response. Um, you had all these responses and then you had the response of the soldier when Christ died. He said, certainly this was the Son of God. And uh, this is the proper response to Christ. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the living God. He is the living God. And... A, an evangelist has the opportunity to preach a message many times. Um, he'll preach the same message, and that's a, that's a great thing. I think that's an, an important thing for evangelists to be able to do. As a pastor, my desire is to preach the whole counsel of God. Um, to be able to preach uh, the tenets of the Word of God in its entirety, given enough time. And one of the things that God has been working in my life and, and something that I believe that um, for some time, and I've preached this type of message many times, but at least uh, the Lord has been working in a way that say, this is something that you need to remind the, the people of God because you need to remi- be reminded um, of this important thing for each one of us. God has called us to be a holy people. He has called us to purity. He has called us to be distinct. He has called us to be Christ-like. You say, Pastor, you preach that all the time. Well, I want to be specific in holiness and purity. You know, when we get saved, God makes us holy. We're His. We are distinct in the very fact That we have a relationship with the God who made us where no one who doesn't know Christ does. Did you know there's not one person in this world that has a relationship with the God who made them apart from Jesus Christ? If they do not know Jesus Christ, they do not know God. And when I say Jesus Christ, I am talking about the Jesus Christ 
of the Bible who died to pay the penalty for my sin and rose again the third day. The God who unequivocally reminded everybody that He is God. There are many people who say, I believe in Jesus, but they don't know Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. They say, well, I know He died, but He didn't die for my sins. Or, I know He died, but He didn't rise from the dead. Or, I know He died and rose from the dead, but He's not God. I want you to know, that's a whole different Jesus than the one that I know. But if a person does not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they do not have a relationship with God. They don't have that privilege and they don't have that distinction. You mean the Muslim who believes in Allah doesn't have a relationship with God? They do not. Not with the God that made them. They have a relationship with some false God. Some God devised by the devil himself. But they do not have a relationship with the God. We who know Christ do. And we by that very fact have been made separate or holy. But God has called us to be like Christ. You know, I first got saved. I got saved during the the height of the WWJD bracelets. I think that was the first rubber plastic bracelet movement. Now they got plastic bracelets for everything. But I think that was the first one in that WWJD. And I remember as a new Christian saying, what does that mean, WWJD? And they're like, what? <laughs> you don't know what WWJD means. What would Jesus do? I've got, you could look back at the, the movement and uh, there was some silliness and and different things, some some things that people believed that were outside of the realm of Scripture. But this is one thing I know. That if we are going to be holy, we have to be a people who desire our lives to be like Christ in such a way that if Jesus were me, I would be doing what He would be doing. (laughs) Now, we are not Jesus... But Jesus does live in us. And the Lord Jesus Christ is our great God who wants to work in us to the point where what we do would be what He would do if He were us. Now I'm not trying to be blasphemous. Jesus is not us. But He desires to make us like Himself. To where when it comes to time to make a particular decision in the the life that we live today, in this particular day, there is a decision that He would make and He wants us to make that the decision we make. You with me? Now there are many things that I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ would not particularly care about and is not trying to micromanage our lives. If he were here and he were me. No, I'm a Gentile American. And so if he were me and it was a decision between bacon and eggs or cereal, him, if he were me, if he were me, not a Jewish man in Israel, I don't think he'd care between the two. But if it were to be between having six eggs and a pound of bacon, He would have something to say about that. Because if I were to eat six eggs 
and a pound of bacon, I don't think that would be holy. <laughs> but if he wanted to eat, if I wanted to eat cereal or bacon and eggs, I'm not sure the Lord is trying to get us to so, uh, trying to get us to make decisions based about that, but there are many things that he does. What am I going to do with my time? What am I going to allow my eyes to see and my ears to hear? And what is going to go through out of my mouth? And how am I going to react to people who I don't like or who say things that I don't like? This is all a work of holiness that God wants to work within us. And it is a work that He is doing. If you know Christ, He is doing it right now. And He is going to do it until the day you see Him and become like Him. And it is a work that we should want Him to do. The great problem we have is that we don't want Him to do it because it might mean that we have to do things differently. We might have to not do certain things. We might have to begin doing certain other things. The Lord Jesus Christ is working in us and He is not going to quit even if we don't want Him to work. And that work that He's doing is the work of making us holy. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, this great and precious promise, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath performed a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The one who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How did He begin that good work? Well, if you're saved today, He's the one who did that. Right? If you're saved today, what I mean by that is you have trusted that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead and you personally asked Him to be your Savior. If you are saved today, He's the one that did that work. Right? Do not believe, not for one second, that it was some preacher. <laughs> Ain't no preacher saved you. I want you to know it wasn't even your mom who saved you. She's the one who gave you the gospel. Jesus saved you. He's the only one that could do this type of saving. He's the one that saved us from the penalty of hell and gave us heaven. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, He did that work. But I want you to notice the work is not done by Him, is it? He's not done. He did it, but He's not done. He's still working. He which began a good work in you will perform it. What that means is He's not done working. One of the, one of the, the things that, that so often happens in a Christian's life is they think the work is done once they get saved. That there just isn't anything else to do. But if you are confronted with the Holy Christ, the God of all creation, who's perfect in every way, every single way, then you will very quickly recognize there's still work to do. There's still work to do. And He's going to do that work until the day of Jesus Christ. What day is that? That is the day you see Him. That could happen one of two ways. You could die and give up the ghost and immediately be ushered into the presence of Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or, He could come down and take us all. 
He could come down and receive us unto Himself that where He is, there we might be also. I hope that happens. It would be wonderful if Jesus decided, God the Father decided to send Jesus to come get us now and take us to heaven. That would be wonderful and it would be good. But if He does not come, there is a work that He is still doing. A work of purity and a work of holiness. The Lord Jesus Christ is continuing to work. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to go through several passages today. And so if you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, listen carefully to the passages of Scripture because what God has to say is more important than what I have to say. And what God has to say is found exclusively in the Bible. I'm simply going to try to explain in a way that makes sense and that will be a help. Pray for me in that. I want you to notice there in Colossians chapter 1. The scripture says in verse 21, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. First, I want you to notice there, and you. That's a precious word there, and you. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to the church in Colossae, which was filled with people who had trusted Jesus as their Savior, who had been born again, who are on their way to heaven, 100%. He says, and you, that were some time, in other words, at some point in the past, you were alienated. That word alienated is a word that means to be, uh, to be an alien or to be one who is not part of a particular group or nationality. You might hear the word alien today in this context, in the English context, of people who come into our nation without the proper paperwork. And we might say they're illegal aliens. It's not used very often anymore. Um, But they're here without the proper paperwork. In other words, they're not properly part of America. By the way, I praise the Lord for immigration. My Half of my family immigrated here in the early 1900s. And they were part of this nation in the way that this nation said to be part of it. Now here's the amazing thing. It is not an easy thing to become a citizen of the United States. It is not easy to be an, a person who is no longer an alien but a citizen of the United States. But that's not so to be part of the nation or people of God. It is not hard. You do not have to take tests nor learn the language. All you have to do is know with all of your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. That He gave Himself for you. And you 
repenting of your belief in everything else, turn to Christ and ask Him to save you. And He begins to do a work in you. And He begins to to show you how you yourself can become more and more like Christ. Before I was saved, there were lots of things that I did that showed that I was an alien. (laughs) Whether it be by my spirit towards other people. Boy, if you got mad at me, it did not take me long to get mad at you. (laughs) When I get together with my brother, he reminds me how often I got into fights when I was little. (laughs) When I think of myself, I don't think of myself as a fighter. But he reminds me, you fought a lot. I got into fights right right into college. The words that I would use, the anger that I would express at the people who loved me the most, these all proved that I was an alien. The day I trusted Christ as my Savior, He began a work. He began to change my life. He began the work of making me holy like Jesus is holy. On the day I trusted Christ, I was holy to God. And He began the work of making me holy like Christ. I want to ask you a question. Do you think I'm holy like Christ? The only answer can be no. Even if you think I'm a good guy. (laughs) Because the answer is for you, no. I am not like Christ. I'm not like Christ. But He's working. And He's patient. Notice what He says. He says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. (laughs) That was me. (laughs) The things that would come to my mind, I would work out with my body. And yet, now hath He reconciled. Now hath He reconciled. He has taken me from being an alien to being one of His own. In verse 22, in the body of His flesh through death, Jesus died. Why? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. To be holy is to be exclusively God's. To be set apart for God without defilement. To be distinct by virtue of a connection to God. You are connected to God through Christ. When you got saved, you were made holy in this and you have a connection With God. And He is doing a work. And here's what that work is. I want you to listen very carefully. That your life would be exclusively His. That's the work that He's doing. It ultimately comes down to this. The work that God is doing to make you holy is to make you exclusively His. What does that mean? That means in your relationships, you do what He would do. You might say, well, well, listen, I'm a husband. Don't I belong to my wife? Yes, I do. I belong to my wife. I am her possession. And she's mine in marriage. 
But God wants me to be exclusively His and that I treat my wife the way He wants me to treat my wife. And He wants me to be willing to do what is best for my wife, even at my own sacrifice. And He wants me to be willing that if my wife does not want me to do the will of God, to do the will of God instead of her own. He wants me to be holy in my relationship with my children. By the way, in being holy in your relationship to your wife, gentlemen, that has to do with a lot of things that sometimes your wife isn't even around. What do you see with your eyes that would take away from your wife? We, we are not holy. As we're looking at things that will steal away from our love and devotion to our wife in our minds. Right? And that can come in any number of ways. And we live in an age today where sin is perpetually knocking at the door. The Lord is working to make us holy so that we can be be part of and doing what He would have us to do. You know, in this past weeks, we've been talking about the, the gifting of God. Here's the trouble. If we are not being made holy, the gifts that God has given us can be made useless. If you're a daddy here, I guarantee you this. God has gifted you to be a daddy. You wouldn't be a daddy... If God weren't going to give you the things you needed to be a daddy. But are there things that a daddy could do that could destroy? Could destroy. Even though they know what to do, they could, they will not be able to do it. Are there things daddies could do? Sure. Are there things moms could do that would destroy them being able to be a mom? They know how to do it. God has gifted them to be able to be a mom. But if they do these certain things, if they are not holy in these certain ways, they will not be able to do it. And so it is in the work of God. God has a work for us to do. But if we are not holy in the doing of it, we can make a mess of it. You know, I appreciated what Brother Gavitt preached on Wednesday night. And seem to be being being hammered on purity in my own life. And I praise the Lord for it. I want to be exclusively God's. I'm not yet. One day I will be. But I want to be closer to what I'll be that day than I am now. You with me? And so we've got to let God do the work. We've got to let the Lord Jesus Christ do this work. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Very familiar passage. If you don't know this passage, I'd encourage you to get to know this passage. It's a wonderful passage. Verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, 
acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Lord, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by being a living sacrifice? Obviously, number one, it means to be a sacrifice that isn't killed. We don't kill ourselves literally, obviously. What do we do? Well, the Scripture says, number one in verse two, don't be conformed to this world. Do you know what the world wants us to do? Sacrifice ourselves to it. <laughs> what I mean by that is become more and more and more like the world in the way the world does things. You know the world rejoices when Christians become like the world. Non-Christian people will often rejoice when they hear their Christian friends fail in marriage. Or get in trouble at work. Or get in trouble with the law. They love it. It's a sad thing that that's the case many times. Where there should be weeping, they're happy. You know why? Because they know that that's the path they're on. And if we are on it and they're on it, what's the difference? What's the big deal? But he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Rather than being conformed to this world, be transformed by God. What is a living sacrifice? I'm not going to go the way of the world. I am going to let God transform me into the image of His Son. I'm going to do those things that would lead to such a thing. I'm going to learn the Word of God. I'm going to ask God for help in prayer. I am going to be willing to put myself in a position to have friends who are going to tell me that is not holy. And I'm not going to get mad at them when they do. <laughs> right? As iron sharpeneth iron, so does a brother sharpen his, uh, his brother. We're going to put ourselves in a position of knowing that when we have sinned, we're not going to act like it's nothing. We're going to go to God and we're going to say, Lord, what I did was wrong. Forgive me. By the way, he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the way to holiness. His word, his, his, his word in prayer, being amongst the people of God that will exhort us daily, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And when we do sin, we don't act like nothing happened. We go right to God who's ready to forgive and we are honest with Him. And again, it's not like, oh, I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. It is a genuine sorrow for having done what we've done. God is leading us and helping us. 
And I want you to know he's patient with us. Turn to Luke 13, 6. Luke 13, 6. There's an interesting parable here. So Jesus comes to Galilee once again and and He speaks to the Galileans about their sin and He calls them to repent lest they perish. Uh, We talked about, it's interesting that that we talked about this this, uh, passage in Sunday school. Uh, It says in verse 4, it talks about these 18 people who were in a tower, it fell and they died. (laughs) And he's giving the response to this. Eighteen people died. It was tragic. What's the response? Repent, lest ye die also. Here's the amazing thing. We're all going to die, right? But he says, repent lest ye die. Well, here's the amazing thing. We don't need to perish the way those who don't know Christ perish. We can perish, die, and go to be with Him. Alright? But then he gives this parable. A very interesting parable. He spake also this parable. So first he talks about how to be saved. You need to repent. Turn from the wickedness of your life to the Holy One who died for your sin. Right? Do not value the wickedness of your life to the place where you say, I won't get saved. There have been a dozen times where someone's come up to me or I've gone to them and talked about being saved. They say, I believe all that. But I want to have fun now. What? (laughs) Number one, I have never known enjoyment of this life like I've known knowing Christ. I partied it up for two years of my life. I will not go back. (laughs) I won't. You say, well, you're an old man now. I wouldn't go back when I was 19. And I'm certainly not going to go back now. And then he turns to this parable. I want you to notice what it says. He said, and he spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and didn't find any. There was no fruit. And he said to the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? This fig tree is worth nothing to me. Go ahead and cut it down and lift its root system right out and burn it. It's not worth it. It is wasting ground space. I want you to notice what it says. This, this dresser, this person who does the work. And this dresser of the vineyard says in verse 8, He answered and said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. What is he speaking about here? I believe that he's speaking about the Christian life. The one who has trusted Christ. The one who says, I believe. And begins their walk with God. 
There are certain things that are keeping you from being fruitful. It all has to do with the life that you're living apart from Christ. Doing things the way Christ would not have you do them. What would Jesus do? I don't care. I'm going to do it my own way. That leads to being unfruitful. Right? What are we good for if we're unfruitful? To be cut down and thrown into a fire. But here's the amazing thing. This dresser, who I believe is Christ. Some will disagree, but I believe is Christ. says, wait. Give me time. Give me a year to dig around. To get the nutrients in. And in a year, see if it's fruitful. The Lord Jesus Christ is patient. He's in it for the long haul in your life. And He's willing to stop everything and say, let me dig. Let me dig deep into this person's life. Let me begin to to take all the things that can be found even in the inner root system. He's talking about getting down to the very roots which can't be seen unless you dig up the dirt, right? He says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to find the things that are keeping it from being fruitful and then I'm going to put the nutrients in. I'm going to take the nutrients, the all the stuff that's good within the dung and I'm going to put it there so that this system can can uh, have what it needs to be fruitful. I'm going to take the bad out. I'm going to put the good in. He says this is going to take time. It's not going to be next week. It's not going to be next month. Give me a year. Here's the amazing thing about Christ. He's patient. I do want to warn you in this. He did say a year, didn't he? He didn't say, don't ever cut it down. He didn't say, hey, give me the rest of your life to try to get this going. Let me let me do this and, I, and I'll just keep doing it, please. And he said, give me a year. Ultimately, what that means is for the obstinate Christian who may not even be a Christian, but is just playing the role, there's only so much time. If you will not let God work in your life to take out the bad and to put in the good, I just warn you in this, there's only a certain amount of time. How much time is there? Well, number one, God doesn't give us particularly. I promise you when He said a year, He wasn't saying, hey, if you're not right with God, give me a year and we'll see it a year. I don't know how much time. We don't know. But beginning today, there's a certain amount of time that God says, I'm going to give to take out the bad and put in the good. And I'm going to do that work. I'm going to do that work. He's patient. But He did say a year. And then John 15, and we'll close. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Lastly, we have to remember that this work is not our work. It is God's. We cannot take it upon ourselves to become holy. We have to depend on Him to make us such. We have to come to Him. We have to say, Lord, would You help me? And if He begins to impress upon you, there are certain things that if you're listening today are beginning to go through your mind just like they're going through mine now. These are things that God wants to work in you with. Maybe it has to do with habits or things that you put in your your you allow to come through your gates, the eye gate, the ear gate. Uh, maybe it has to do with the way you're treating a particular person, or or maybe it has to do with the way you're not treating you're not treating them at all, or or maybe there's something that he's leading you to do, but you've said no, I'm not doing it. These are all things that have to do with holiness. God is working in you to begin this dunging, this cutting out of the bad and dunging the good and getting the getting you to be more and more like Christ, to where in your life. The things that you do are more and more what Jesus would do if He were you. I cannot stand up here today and say that my life is wholly characterized by me doing what Jesus would do if He were me. That would be a lie. (laughs) But I want more of my life to be what Jesus would do if He were me. I want that desperately. Is that what you want? If that's not what you want, something is not right. (laughs) If you do not want to be more like Christ, something is not right. Today, I would plead with you to go to Him and change. ask Him to change that about you. Because I promise you there are things that you're missing out on that He wants to give you. You may be here today and say there are certain things that I know He wants to work on and is working on in my life. He's reminded me of them again. Let Him work. Let Him begin the steps of helping you in this particular area of holiness. Let Him work. And He will make you fruitful. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If Liz and Curtis can make their way up. And Mandy. If we can, in the quietness of the moment, let God lead us to where He would have us to go with His Word. What is He doing? What is He saying? What is He welling up in you? Go to Him and ask for help. Go to Him and ask for help. In a moment, Mandy will begin quietly playing. Pray and ask God for help.